0: Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. And today I'm interviewing a breast cancer surgical oncologist who will surprise you with her take on cancer treatment. Dr. Jen Simmons is the doctor with the answer to breast cancer, and you'll get to meet her right after this. This is an all-important message for my people over 40 who are at risk for osteoporosis or osteopenia. That could be those of you with light eyes, Asian descent, thyroid patients. Yes, sometimes thyroid patients, if you're overreplaced long-term, it could jeopardize your bones. There's a facility in central Arkansas that can help. It's just a 15-minute visit once a week to help strengthen your bones. It isn't a gym, but it's OsteoStrong. OsteoStrong offers a 100% natural, non-pharmaceutical, you know what I'm all about, based way to fight low bone density. I've been a couple of times. I'll update you my progress, but it's a session where you're guided by a coach takes you through the four machines that published Science has shown has increased average T scores in women over 55 by going just once a week for nine months. OsteoStrong has been around for more than a decade, just opened in Little Rock in the promenade. The Google reviews are great. It's not covered by insurance, but HSA might cover it, ask about it, but tell them Lisa Fisher sent you and you'll get half off the one-time sign-up fee. Find out more at osteostrong501.com or go to the show notes. Let's get stronger bones together at OsteoStrong. I am so excited to introduce you to a new sponsor of the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast, but not a new name to those of you in central Arkansas. You will say, huh, yes, I know about this. It's Marlsgate Marlesgate is the property just 15 minutes from downtown Little Rock. That is the Greek revival property built in the 1800s, guys, and it is still maintained in mint condition. Now, only the third owners have it. Martha Ellen and Bo Talbot bought it in 2017. And with tender love, take care of it because you know what? It's their personal home and they can open it to you, to the right person who wants to have their event at a treasure, that's what this property is and they maintain the grounds, the house, they can seat up to or accommodate up to 500 people with the the kitchen alone is 2,500 square feet because it is a working kitchen for events and things. Guys, it's a beautiful property. Go to their website. You can see the video that I produced and you can find out more. If you want to have an event there, reach out to me. I can get you with the Talbots. I'm having an event there in December, a cocktail party because Christmas at Marlesgate will be off the charts this year. It's back and it's better than ever. Marlesgate.com.
1: She won most talkative in
0: high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, kids, gather around your device because your mind's about to be blown with my guest today. It's the doctor with the answer to breast cancer. And I think we're all going to sit at your feet right now, Dr. Simmons, and find out. I don't think it's just one answer to breast cancer because I know you've changed your approach to breast cancer coming Mm -hmm. from uh, a traditional conventional uh, philosophy now to functional medicine, but tell me what got you interested for, for one thing, what made you decide to switch from a conventional philosophy to functional medicine?
1: Yeah. So that actually happened a lot later I have a pain to purpose story like most people who find themselves in positions like mine. So I really don't remember a time in my life without breast cancer. My family, um, I come from a breast cancer family, not a BRCA family, but a breast cancer family nonetheless. And every woman in my family is affected by breast cancer except for my mother who had colon cancer. So growing up, I had a first cousin. Her name was Linda Creed. Linda was a singer-songwriter in the 1970s and 1980s. She wrote all the music for the spinners and the stylistics. She wrote 54 hits in all. And her most famous song was The Greatest Love of All. Oh, my gosh. I know. So, you know, people say, like, oh, my cousin's a rock star. My cousin (laughs) was literally a rock star. Like the queen of Motown sound in Philadelphia.
0: Right. And she came from the the right side. The singer-songwriter, the songwriters are the one who go to the bank.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So she wrote The Greatest Love of All in 1977 as the title track to the movie The Greatest starring Muhammad Ali. But it actually received its acclaim when Whitney Houston released that song to the world in March of 1986. And at that time it would spend 14 weeks at the top of the charts. Only Linda would never know because Linda died of metastatic breast cancer just one month after Whitney released the song.
0: Oh my gosh. Linda's life
1: and ultimately her death gave birth to my life's purpose because I never wanted another woman, another family, another community to have to suffer in the way that I watched Linda suffer. And so I did the only thing I knew how to do, right? I became a doctor because what else do you do when you wanna make an impact on health and disease? So I become a doctor, I become a surgeon, I become the first fellowship trained breast surgeon in Philadelphia, and I am doing what I believe to be God's work and making an impact. And I do that for many, many years. And while at the very top of my career, and I'm running the cancer program for my hospital, and I'm a wife and a mother and a stepmother and an athlete and a philanthropist, and I have all these balls in the air, and I fancy myself an expert juggler (laughs) until the day that everything comes crashing down for me. And I go from being probably the most high-functioning person you could imagine to being able to do nothing at all. I couldn't walk across the room without getting short of breath. So I have this exhaustive three-day workup, and I find myself sitting in the office of my friend and colleague and physician, and he tells me that I need to have surgery and chemo radiation and be on lifelong medication. And despite the fact that I know that this is the standard of care and that these are the things that I recommend all day, every day, without hesitation or reservation, these words are coming at me and I'm in Charlie Brown's classroom. All I can hear is wah, 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 right? Time stands still. And the only voice I hear is the voice that says, Walk away. There's something (gasps) else. That's all I can hear is walk away. There's something else. My friend warns me, like I warned thousands of women before what's going to happen if you don't get treated? You're going to die. Right. My friend tells me I'm going to die and all I can hear is walk away. There's something else. And so I go home in a panic. I do the thing that I tell everyone never to do. I go to Dr. Google Yep. (laughs) and you know, this is 2017. So Dr. Google at that time was, um, a little more free thinking,
0: yeah. Oh, a little yeah.
1: more uh, yeah. vulnerable, yes. Uh, was a place for free speech. Now you know the narrative and the dialogue is completely controlled, and you cannot find the truth on Google. It's but censorship. It's yes. it's daily censorship. Daily, yes. More than one time a day, right? And um, so I Google how to heal. Naturally. And what comes up over and over and over again is diet, 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 diet. Now, as a conventionally trained physician, I had 15 hours worth of training around nutrition my first year of medical school and never again. And my training was a lot, right? I'm a fellowship trained surgeon which means that I went to medical school for four years. I did five years of residency, taking care of the sickest of the sick. And then I did one year of fellowship. So, you know, we're talking about 10 years of education, of which I had 15 hours of training around nutrition my first year. And doctors really do suffer this complete misunderstanding and we we think that if it wasn't taught to us in medical school it was either not true not important maybe both and so you know how could we value nutrition and nourishment in any way it wasn't valued by the people who told us what matters so I decide that I need to learn more about nutrition. So I enroll in IIN, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which (laughs) all of, all of, yeah, all of my health coaches did their training there, that started their training there. So now I drove them crazy. I must've called them like 20 times saying, I'm a physician. I've been a physician for 20 years. Are you sure I'm going to learn something? Yes, yes, yes. We promise you we have a lot of physicians. You will learn something. You'll learn a lot. So, But I go in with a lot of trepidation. And I'm listening to one of the very first speakers. And Mark Hyman walks on the stage. Now, in 2017... I didn't know who Mark Hyman was. That name meant nothing to me. Oh, wow. And, you know, he had written a couple of books, but he really didn't have the fame that he has now. Right. And truth be told, there's still plenty of people on this earth that don't know who Mark Hyman is. It's a sin that they don't know who he is. But right. they, those people do exist. I have conversations every single day when people look at me blankly, who? So Mark Hyman walks on the stage, introduces himself as a functional medicine physician. Now, remember, I'm my snooty booty self, a doctor (laughs) for 20 years, never heard of functional medicine. So what is my visceral response? What is this quack talking about? (laughs) Right? And then I remember that I'm sick. And so I check my ego at the door, sit down, and I listen. And thank God I did. Because within five minutes of this man speaking... My entire life makes sense, and I know why I got sick. I got sick so that I could be in that room on that day listening to this man speak and listen I did for the next three hours. And I walked away from that not only with a deeper understanding of what I needed to do to heal myself, but I also knew what I needed to do to heal breast cancer and that my role as a surgeon was misguided as misguided as our entire cancer paradigm is because all the focus is on the tumor and in doing that all you do is empower the tumor right what we think about grows so the tumor is not the problem the tumor is the symptom of the problem and what we all need to do is stop managing symptoms and figure out why we're sick because that's the keys to freedom. The key to freeing yourself from the binds of your diagnosis is to figure out what is tying you to that diagnosis, what is making you sick. And when you do that, when you give the body what it needs and take away what it doesn't, our bodies know how to heal. So I'm an early adopter, I get super excited. I enroll in the Institute for Functional Medicine and I spend the next three years immersed in the study of functional medicine. And at the end of that three years, I walk away from my surgical position because I know that I cannot help people within the confines of conventional medicine because there's no place in conventional medicine for healing. It's not meant for that. It's not built for that. We do not have a healthcare system. We have a sick care system. And I want people to be sick. I want them to be healthy. And so I left in 2019 and I founded Real Health MD with the intention of helping people on a breast cancer journey to truly heal and to have health for the first time in their lives after their diagnosis.
0: So, are you saying that, did you enter IIN then as a breast cancer patient?
1: I entered IIN with Graves' disease. Graves' disease. Which is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid, which, if not treated, is Mm life-threatening. And... But it doesn't mean that you have to take your thyroid out, obliterate it with radioactive iodine and be on thyroid replacement for the rest of your life. Like what what I couldn't account for in my head is why God would give me an organ that I need to live only to take it out and have to rely on synthetic hormone for the rest of my life. And what I couldn't understand is why my doctor couldn't see that. How he couldn't see that that couldn't possibly be the answer. How could we possibly be better than the Almighty God right. at creating life?
0: I totally agree. Did you reverse your Grace's disease then? I did. Wow. I did. So no antibodies right now? No.
1: Now it. I don't want to pretend that what I did was easy and my health journey was not linear. And in fact, I got much, much worse before I got better because I was having to do a lot of experimentation because I didn't have the answers and I couldn't find anyone with the answers for what I had. And that's because the answers are different for everyone. Right. And it wasn't until I, well, it ended up for me being mold illness, although I didn't know it. Right. And when I say that I got worse before I got better, I mean that I started to develop the symptoms of MS. And MS oh. is another form of autoimmune disease. And so, you know, as a surgeon, when you wake up in the middle of the night with a numb face, And a numb hand. This is frightening stuff. Right? But it was but it was God telling me that I'm on the wrong path. You have to get off. Right? And people thought I was crazy. Why didn't I just stay and use my functional medicine knowledge in that capacity? But there really is no room for that. You know, the hospital wasn't paying me to get people better. The hospital was paying me to keep them in the system. Yes, operate. Yes, operate, for sure, operate. But then send them for chemotherapy, send them for radiation, which only makes them sicker and sicker without doing anything to change the trajectory that they're on. Because those women, the vast majority of those women, and we see this in the studies, women who are treated for breast cancer are two to three times more likely To die of cardiovascular disease. And this is twofold. First of all, you're not changing the trajectory that you're there on. So if you're not getting rid of the inflammation, if you're not getting rid of the reason why the symptom is there, then you're just going to go on to manifest another symptom, right? And me removing the tumor, yes, that did delay the progression of breast cancer, but it didn't get rid of any of the inflammation. And then, We take people who are already vulnerable, who are already sick, and we give them chemo, radiation, (sighs) hormone, blockade, and we make them worse. We make them worse. We leave them worse for the wear. And nowhere in that system are they talking about that. Are we talking about the heart disease that we're causing? Are we talking about the brain disease that we're causing? Are we talking about the bone disease that we're causing? And yet, as many women die every year as a complication of a fracture, as do of breast cancer. And uh, we're not talking about it. And in fact, we're causing some of that.
0: Right. Causing some of that. Um, In your social media, I've even seen you. Um, and we'll link all that in the show notes, everything, what you're doing, because it's tremendous work. I feel like you have a target on your back from Big Pharma because you're speaking out I do. against them. Okay. And I, I feel that way with Dr. Seyfried as well in Boston College and other, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr. People who come out, I always go, man, it's really brave. So I, I admire your bravery so much. But one thing you say I think is profound um, and that is there are a lot of breast cancers that are stage one or maybe stage two that don't even have to have the treatment, but yeah. nobody gives them the option. They're told they have stayed stage one and they the sky is falling then. yeah and so and they don't give you know, them the option to say, well, let's just, see. you know, I, I've heard people say that now with thyroid cancer. They're saying, you know what? A, a lot of us have, thyroid abnormalities and cancer cells. I, I have a dead thyroid, Hashimoto's for 20 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. But th- that doesn't mean, obviously, I would never let them take my thyroid out because it's a gas pedal to the body. But it, I've heard that also in the thyroid cancer realm. Mm-hmm. So kind of address yeah. that. Yeah. So um, there, are,
1: there are thyroid cancers and there are thyroid cancers, right? And so if we're talking about medullary thyroid cancer, which has uh, a tendency to metastasize and right. has a high fatality rate, no one is going to watch a medullary thyroid cancer. But we know that there are other thyroid cancers that are quite indolent. And we know that about breast cancer too. But we're not. Wow, no one that. ever says this. Because breast cancer is big business. Oh, I know. Big business. And, you know, one of the foundations of medical treatment in this country is scare tactics. Oh, for we want to sure. scare people and we want to scare them early and scare them good so that they don't <laughs> have time to think so that they feel as if it's an emergency. Yes. And they make a quick decision and you get them in. Right. And I can't, I, I must get a hundred messages a day of people who are, in breast cancer treatment and they're afraid to not do it because of course they're afraid that's all they're told and you know you hear things enough times and you think that they're true right so our mammographic screening program is the greatest example of that it's the greatest example of that where you hear time and time again that mammograms save lives and you believe it to be true and the radiologists believe this right? Except it's not true. Our mammographic screening program was built on the premise that breast cancer starts at some infantile size, grows to some critical mass, at which point it is more likely to metastasize. And if you find the lesion before it reaches critical mass, you can decrease the amount of treatment people get and save lives. And it's a lovely theory, only it's not true. It's a because theory. Because breast cancer is what it is from the beginning, and there are very small cancers that can be very aggressive, and there are very large cancers that no matter what you do will not hurt someone in the long run, oh. and everything in between. And so we are treating thousands and thousands and thousands of women breast cancer each year because we find these little meaningless things on mammogram and we biopsy them and maybe they do have some cancerous cells. But we are making cancerous cells in our bodies all day, every day. Everyone from every age, from the young to the old, we're all making cancer cells. And an intact immune system will take care of them. We have to give the body the chance. Well, we don't give anyone a chance in this country. We rush, the second we get a diagnosis, they're rushed to surgery. They're rushed to chemotherapy. They're rushed to radiation. They're, and then so many women are given hormonal blockade, and that only goes to accelerate all those diseases that we were talking about because wow. Avron Blooming said it best, estrogen matters. It really matters. And anyone who hasn't read that book, you have to read that book. If you were born female, you have to
0: read that book. So true. So true. And
1: so despite no matter how many women we screen every year, we find the same number of aggressive breast cancers and the same number of women die of breast cancer every year we have not impacted deaths from breast cancer one bit. So if the mammographic screening program is really saving lives, where? Where are the lives that they're saving? The mammographic screening program, unfortunately, is creating customers. It's really no difference than the pharmaceutical industry. And my radiology colleagues, are very well intended, they want to help people, and they very much believe that they are helping. And remember, when I was a surgeon for 20 years, I believed in mammography, I believed in mammographic screening, and I believed that I was helping people by recommending that. And it's only when those blinders came off for me that I was able to see the truth. But so many practitioners walk through their careers completely blinded.
0: What do you think? Then, um, so I've been a thermography client for many, many years. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I when I was, I'm 60 now. So when I was 40, I did get talked into that first mammogram, and then, you know, that true too was when the internet was really an in infancy for that type of information, mm-hmm. but I did start thinking, well, doesn't this put me at a greater risk and it's radiation and some other things. So I, mm-hmm. I made that decision. Yeah. but it was, I, lo-
1: I love the answer that they have to that, which is, what is
0: that, it? oh, it's just a
1: little bit of radiation. Yes, that's and right. You know, it's the same as flying across the country. That's
0: what he told me. That's what they told me. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Only... Half of the women who go for a mammogram will get called back for additional views and all those people that get called back, they have the callback then. So they have their screening mammogram then they have a callback mammogram and then they're put on this six month rotation. So then they're having a mammogram every six months. And that typically happens for a few years and then they'll finally find something. And then they're on that schedule forever. So we for the most part, the vast minority of women are having one mammogram a year, and the majority are having multiple mammograms multiple times a year. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it I, is it is a hamster wheel that you want no part of, and I truthfully never understood using a test to
0: screen for cancer that
1: causes cancer.
0: It I, just doesn't said, make any I, sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But here's what happens when you do. So, I had this a few years ago where I, and I've told this on my podcast, I had a questionable thermography report, just a hot spot, right? And yeah. so the radiologist who read it said, just go get the ultrasound just so we can all sleep better at night. So, and I've told as a health coaching, um, as my clients, as a health coach, i tell them the same thing, just if you are suspicious or the radiologist suspicious. But now our facilities in Arkansas, now they didn't do this to me because I stand up to people, but they are telling my clients, you can't just have an ultrasound at our facility. You have to have have to have a mammogram. And so I fought with my guy and just said, no, he said, you have dense (laughs) breast tissue. It doesn't do well in mammogram anyway. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, but we recommend a mammogram. And I just said, no, thanks. Everything was fine. Let's have a little civics lesson right now. And what your county and city taxes go to? This is not a political conversation. This is math. Uh, They often provide financial resources for dog shelters in your community. That's why I've been asking you to go to dogtalktv.com because when you buy books there, which who doesn't love books and who doesn't want to learn more about dogs, you are actually helping the dog rescues. Kind of a difference sometimes between the shelters and the rescues. And the rescues that I'm talking about in Central Arkansas don't get any funding. So whatever they get from things like Dogtalktv.com because the proceeds of those books go to the local rescues. That and you know, some other donations I get, it's difficult for them. It's been very challenging for them since 2020. So that's why I am making a plea to you to go to dogtalktv.com, buy some of the books there. You're learning about dog breeds that are good with certain uh, temperaments. You're educating your children about animals. The books are beautiful about dogs and colorful and interesting and all the things. In fact, I buy the books and I give them then to the local facilities in town that have long-term healthcare clients, um, the children's hospital, things like that. And I have some here for my grandchildren. You could do the same thing, but you got to do it right now. Go to the link in the show notes, but it's DogTalkTV.com. Happy National Rice Month from your friends at Ralston Family Farms. Every September is National Rice Month here in the U.S. And you know how the Ralstons celebrate at Ralston Family Farms? By working. That's what those people do about 12 months out of the year. I know that there's a month or two that things are kind of slow, but they are still working. They are 10 generations of farmers. And if you start counting back, well, that's a long time ago. So it is deep in their soil and in their souls. This is what they do. Now, let me tell you some things they are doing that concern you. Number one, there's a happy refresh on the packaging. So you know how your eye gets used to seeing something at the grocery store? Um, It's still in the same location, but the box, the packaging looks a tiny bit different, but still the good quality products. The rice that has much of it, I'm trying to think. I think all of it, guys, has some protein in it, and that's why my family adores it. And in fact, speaking of my family, I actually contributed a recipe Yes, me. It's the herbed rice that should be on their family's website. Uh, this month, RalstonFamilyFarms.com. In fact, that's where you go where you want to buy the rice. Uh, That's where you go for all the recipes. I use it all the time. And your local grocery store probably has it, but we know Whole Foods has it, Fresh Market has it, Costco, all the good places, RalstonFamilyFarms.com. How do people fight? That's where it's hard is finding providers who will listen to you to do what you want to do. It's my choice, my body, my choice. Yeah.
1: We don't have a lot of my body, my choice anymore.
0: No, Right. I mean, since,
1: since 2020, we don't have my body, my choice. No, no. We have the agenda is the agenda and you can either get on the bus or get under the
0: bus. My body, government's choice is really how they should say that. That's exactly
1: right. My body, government's choice.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. so, yeah, I mean, you can really try to be an advocate for yourself, but here, I want to I wanna insert a ray of hope here because thermography is not a perfect test. We know for sure mammogram is not a perfect test. MRI is not a perfect test, but um, there is a perfect test now. So there's something called QT imaging. It's FDA approved. It's just not readily available yet, but it will be within the next five years. It has 40 times the resolution of MRI. It is radiation free. It is a novel way of imaging the breast. It's most similar to ultrasound, but it does not use a probe. It's just sending sound waves through water. So essentially your breast gets submerged in a bath of water. Like it goes for a swim, depending on the size of your (laughs) breast, it's imaged in either four to eight minutes. So it's fast, painless, and the images have 40 times the resolution of MRI and a normal QT scan means that you don't need another imaging study for two years. That's how sensitive and specific it is. So stay tuned. I'm opening a center in my area and there are lots of people like me who are just sick of the status quo and want better things for people. And we are, we are going to be able to provide imaging for people that will not hurt them. And I think it's it's been a long time coming.
0: Well, no one knew that the other imaging hurt them because no one mentions that unless you yeah. do the research. So, now, the thing know, with thermography, I pay that. for that out of my pocket. Yep, that's right. Thermography you pay for out of your pocket. Do you think QT imaging will ever be picked up by third party pay by insurance companies? I do,
1: I do. But the
0: okay. I, you
1: know the average cost of um, a QT imaging study is about four hundred dollars. So if you have a normal study that's $200 a year. And I think most women for the peace of mind are willing to pay $200 a year to feel secure about their health. And, you know, you're, you're not, there's no callbacks there. It's just the study. It is what it is. And it's definitive.
0: So you're not so going to get does, called
1: back every six months. There's not going to be, the ambiguity is gone.
0: Okay. Then if, so, since your approach is non-traditional, then if someone does find something, Dr. Simmons in their QT imaging, that is a mass, what's the functional, because I just know the conventional approach of biopsy it, which is very dangerous people, <laughs> you know, very risky Um, chemotherapy, radiation. So let's say you find something suspicious in the QT imaging, then what's your next step?
1: So it depends what it is, right? So if we see DCIS, I'm going to say, let's do the things that we know drive health, right? Because watch and wait is a ridiculous notion. What we need to do is recognize that if we find something, this is a message. This is our signal to right. us that we need to change, right? That something is out of balance. And so what I'm doing with people is I'm saying, okay, what is causing this imbalance? What is causing this chemical uh-huh. shift? What is causing this symptom? And let's work on that. And then we can reimage and see what impact we've made. Because again, at the end of the day, the body knows how to heal. Mm -hmm. We just need to give it what it needs and take away what it doesn't. So for me, you know, I had a three-year healing journey. I had to realize that I had mold illness, which part of the disease state of mold illness is like preventing true introspection. Like you don't really see what's there. So it took a while for me to like realize and admit because so much of it feels like it's in your head. Right? Right. So um, yeah, for sure. What you need, what everyone needs is a partner. Like you need mm-hmm. you need to work with someone who sees the playing field and is able to help you navigate to your health. But I see all of all of these warnings, let's call them. I see them all as an indication that you have to work on your health, that you're not where you're supposed to be. But I'm not rushing anyone off to an operating room anymore, and I'm not rushing anyone into treatment. Now, for people who are presenting with advanced disease, that's a different story. These people are in crisis. Mm -hmm. Their proverbial sink is overflowing, Mm -hmm. and you have to mop up the floor. Surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, they are mopping up the floor for someone who's in crisis,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. I do think that there is a time and a place for conventional treatment. But the far more important thing, the end to conventional treatment, is that you have to figure out why your sink is overflowing, right? Right? You have to turn off the faucet. You have to unclog the sink. You have to figure out your why. And so I don't, I don't believe that we need to get rid of everything that conventional treatment has become. I just think that we need to use it widely. I use it sparingly and specifically instead right. of universally. Right. Right? It does not apply to everyone. It doesn't it need not apply to any everyone. And we have to be mindful that we are taking that same person and making them sicker. So we have to at the same time give them the tools to be well. And we are not doing that within the confines of conventional medicine.
0: Well, let me go back to something you said in the beginning of the interview and um, align it with Doctor. What Doctor. Mark Hyman taught us at IIN. And you said you came from a family of breast cancer patients, but now we also know Hyman says it. And it's famously said that genetics loads the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. So, what was it, do you think, in your DNA that caused so many cases, including, you know, your cousin with uh, the musical brilliance and, and we're using her as somebody that helped spawn your interest in, and, yeah. in and the love of health. What do you think was in your, what do you think's in your DNA? And then what are you doing then to not yeah, pull for sure. that trigger?
1: So, um, I don't, are you familiar with the DNA 360, that test? Yeah. So I ran that test on myself so that I could learn how to best nurture my nature right? So I come from a family that is very, very susceptible to environmental pathogens. Also very susceptible to environmental chemicals. So my aunt, bless her heart, who drinks many glasses of wine every day. It's no surprise that she cannot detox that. And she developed a breast cancer in her fifties. My mother also bless her heart has been a lifetime non-exerciser that may have protected her actually because we don't do well in my family with um heavy exercise you know whenever you exercise you burn fuel and create exhaust some people are really great at getting rid of that exhaust those are like your long distance runners and things like that Mm -hmm. me I do a spin class and I'm exhausted for the rest of the day because I can't clear my exhaust. So my mother, lifetime non-exerciser might've helped her, but she's a three drink a day lady who lives on the standard American diet, has been overweight her entire adult life. And like, you know, You can't fight city Hall, right? Like that, that is just not a combination that is going to materialize as anything but disease. And so I think that I come from a family of very uh, vulnerable genetics. And so if you don't want disease in the context of that gene code, then you have to live a super clean life. And so, you know, I live my life walking that tight wire Mm -hmm. and i know that if i step off and i decide to you know just uh indulge for the day i know that i'm paying for that Yes, i know that i am and so i have to be super conscious of everything that i do all the time um which As a lifetime perfectionist, (laughs) actually, like (laughs) doesn't work out that well, Um, but it is what it is, right? Like this is the hand that I'm dealt, but I don't have to get disease. I will if I don't respect my genes and what my capabilities are, but that's my choice. That's my choice. It's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. Um, people say to me all the time, like eating healthy is hard and exercising every day is hard and you know, all the things that drive health. Yeah, it, it is hard, but you know, what's really hard being sick. Oh yeah.
0: And expensive. <laughs> That's really
1: hard and expensive. People,
0: people complain about healthy foods. No, it's, it's more expensive if, if yeah, the, on the other side, you're sick. Mm-hmm. Yep far more expensive. Um, Another tenant, and and I'll put the DNA 360 in the show notes too, um, just so people can look that up. Um, Another tenant I know you speak on and it changed my life in 2017 and that's intermittent fasting. And that's when I regained my life and health. And that's gave me my interest because I'm a longtime radio TV broadcaster, but to spend my, you know, the, these waxing and waning years, (laughs) these other years, um, helping other people and what fasting has done. But one thing that disappointed me about IIN now, a lot of those videos that were recorded in 2014 before Dr. Fung came on the scene and a few others, they didn't mention fasting at IIN. Mm -hmm. I hope, and I even wrote, you know, at the end of the program, it said, what would you like to see us address? And I said, veganism isn't for everybody. Quit bashing conservatives is what I said. And the third thing I said was, you got to talk about fasting. Now, of course they never wrote back, but those were my things that I walked away with. I learned so many things. Dr. Terry Walls talking about the Walls approach Mm -hmm. and um, what it did for MS, like fascinating about health. But tell me your You you think that they're
1: pro-vegan? I don't think they're pro-vegan.
0: I felt that way because um, when Mark Bittman, the New York Times- um, yeah. food writer, and somebody else at the very end. There was somebody in the beginning, and probably because I'm not that, I was like, there were a couple of people. I thought, wait a minute, there are those of us who want to eat what God provided, and that is mm-hmm. the animal. You know, I, I'm a meat based mm-hmm. eater, so mm-hmm. now I really would have felt that way. But I wasn't that sensitive then. But I kind of thought there are other options besides. That's how I felt veganism. But I could have hey. been a little sensitive. Yeah, I think you were because
1: yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't come away with that at all. I thought that okay. they really, um, I think they represented dietary theory as well as it can be represented because, you know, that's a tough one.
0: It is. You know, is. you
1: get all those people in the room and, you that's know, right. Michael Greger and, and Dave Asprey and right. Mark Bittman and, you know, you right. have, and Mark Hyman and yeah. Not, th- these are really super smart people who don't
0: agree. They right? do. They do talk about bioindividuality, which was mm-hmm. my favorite takeaway. And that's yeah. how I am a meat-based eater, but I have a child who also went through IIN and she is a pescatarian mm-hmm. and It's because we're all different. So I definitely yeah. respect that. Yeah. Uh, but, but they. I, I, talk I hear about- you
1: on the fasting. Yeah, I, I wrote talk about the fasting. same thing. They need to talk about fasting. They also need they also need a cancer person to talk. I, I told oh, them that they should have sure. me on there.
0: Yes. I vote for you. I vote <laughs> thank for
1: you. So thank when
0: you. did you get into fasting? And, and and I know the metabolic mitochondrial approach obviously embraces that, but yeah. you, you might have done that even before then. Yeah. So I discovered
1: fasting my sophomore year in college or maybe... Maybe between my freshman and sophomore year in college. I the, the girl who lived next door to me, her I wish I remembered her full name. Her first name was Tara. I, she is a physician today, I think, or she was pre-med in college. No it way. was a long it was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and she came she came back from between freshman year and sophomore year, like half the person. And I was like, oh my God, wh- where did you go? Like, you look amazing. What yeah. did you do? And she said she stopped eating after six o'clock. I had no idea what this meant, but I wanted to look like that. And so <laughs> I stopped eating after six o'clock and I immediately lost 20 pounds. You're
0: freshman 20.
1: I Yep. And... It just, every time I needed to lose weight, I went back to that. And it wasn't until, you know, 30 years later, when people are talking about intermittent fasting, I was like, oh yeah, I know all (laughs) about that. I just didn't know why. I didn't have a name for it. Yeah. But I knew that, you know, if you stopped eating and you didn't eat after dark, yeah. and it it was like the key to weight loss now did i know about autophagy no of course right. not did i know that you know all of these healing mechanisms were kicking in no of course not and did i abandon it at certain times of my life of course like i got married to my husband he's a huge foodie i gained like 10 pounds immediately after i said i do because we were i doing it everywhere and eating and <laughs> It was uh, it was so kind of reinforcing to me when when people started to talk about it that I was like, oh my God, there's a name for what I've been doing for my entire adult life. So yeah, it is probably the most important tool we have. Yeah, and for people who kind of don't understand it. Just think about us as evolutionary beings. So we are modern beings living on a very old gene code, right? Uh We did not have refrigerators. We didn't have crops. We didn't have any promise of food, right? Uh All we knew is that we had to be in the cave at night because if you weren't in the cave at night, you were someone else's food. And then, and then you went out during the day in search of food and sometimes you found it and sometimes you didn't. So the people that survived were the people that were able to survive long periods of time without food. And our bodies are meant to, to perform as well, if not better in a fasted state than they are in a fed state. Right, You yeah. couldn't come out of the cave in the morning, meet a saber toothed tiger and say, can you just hang on a minute? Because I haven't had my breakfast yet,
0: <laughs> right? Right.
1: You're just meant to run and go yeah. and escape. Yeah. And so, you know, people forget that. People forget from whence we came, but that's what we are. We are beings that are meant to function for very long periods of time really well without food. We were very efficient. Very.
0: Yeah. Then, when did you start seeing that it had benefit that autophagy? You know, of course, it won the Nobel Peace Prize for medicine. I think that was in 16. So, we started seeing what autophagy did. But then, did you see the connection before that and how our cancer cells were eliminated when we went periods of time without food? So, I would have
1: to say that it was really Walter Longo oh, yeah. at, at USC that mm-hmm. made me that made the connection for me. Okay. And his his work around fasting in association with chemotherapy is really what sealed it for me. That if you could fast in and around chemotherapy, you would put the normal cells in this kind of quiescent state and then the cancer cells who are incapable of making that shift so they get, kind of get hangry and so they're going to take up whatever comes around and so what's coming around is chemotherapy and the, and the resting cells, the cells that are in autophagy, they're not going to take up that chemotherapy. It's, you know, that's not, that's not the position that they're in, but the cancer cells are very vulnerable. And so we see profound effects when we combine fasting with chemotherapy in that people have far less side effects because the normal cells are being protected and the chemotherapy is far more effective. And that is a huge issue, especially in this country, because some like seventy to eighty percent of people who get chemotherapy get no benefit and all side effect.
0: I even heard it was higher than that. Yeah. So I'm I, I didn't so, know the
1: number, but Yeah. And when you add in when you add in fasting, now that completely shifts and now 70 to 90% of people are getting benefit from chemotherapy. And so it really it's it's morally wrong that we don't do this in every single care, chemotherapeutic center.
0: The, it I, really it's
1: morally wrong.
0: It is it's morally really wrong. Ansible. I I agree. So why why aren't they are they uninformed or do they feel threatened because of their pocketbook?
1: um they're largely uninformed okay the medical oncologists think that that's not their job they think that's the job of the nutritionists the nutritionists by and large are being trained by in nutrition programs that are being supported by insure and boost and other like
0: garbage
1: and pharma right? right And they're, they're training these people in a certain way and like begets like, and so it all continues. I mean, how many times have people with cancer undergoing chemotherapy been told, no matter what you do, don't lose weight? Right. Right. No matter what you do, don't lose weight. Well, if you have someone who is obese and the vast majority of women being treated for breast cancer are overweight or obese, that is perhaps the worst advice that you could give to them. Because the best thing that they can do while they're undergoing treatment is to lose weight. That's going to increase their survival because the things that we do to make us lose weight Are the very drivers of health. So if you're losing weight, it's because you're fasting, you're eating foods that are nourishing you and not eating foods that are inflaming you. You're moving your body. You're prioritizing sleep. You're decreasing your toxic load. You're increasing your detoxification. So these are exactly the things that people Uh who are undergoing cancer treatment need. And yet they're being advised exactly the opposite. Rest, eat ice cream, eat pizza, no matter what, don't lose weight. Right? That makes and, me cringe. And like begets like, and on and on it goes.
0: Yeah. Well, people listening to this need to share this with their medical oncologist um, or any any provider that they're seeing that's helping them in their journey, which I mean, it would take another hour to discuss this, but another tragedy that's happening, I know with my clients who are going to their traditional oncologist saying, look, I want to do the mitochondrial metabolic approach. They say, well, there's the door and no one here will follow you. So what do you recommend for those people who feel like they're in a wilderness without a provider or an advocate and they want to take a non-traditional approach? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the first thing that I will tell everyone is that you have way more time than you think. And you don't have to succumb to their timeline and their pressure. And you have the time to do your investigation. You have the time to find out and figure out what is best for you, what approach is best for you, what you feel comfortable with. And you have the time to build your team. And there are people who are coming around, they are becoming open. And especially when they, when they see how important it is to you, they'll allow for a whole lot more. And there are plenty of studies to back up what fasting does, what, what, plant-based eating does in the context, what low glycemic eating does, what anti-inflammatory eating does, what exercise does, what detoxification does. Like There's study after study after study, it's inarguable. And so when you present these things to the right person for you, you, you will be heard. And if you are not heard, walk away. Remember, you have way more time than you are told. You have plenty great. of time to make the right decision for you.
0: That is great advice. Um, I want everyone to follow Dr. Jen Simmons, all the information in the show notes. I love your message. Keep doing it. Uh, again, like I said, I like your bravery. I like, uh, I was raised in a Jewish family. I like your chutzpah. No one ever uses chutzpah anymore. I love your chutzpah.
1: For sure. And, you know, a lot of that comes from the fact that I know now that I am doing God's work and I right. know that I am living my purpose. God put us all here for a purpose That's and I, mean. I am living my purpose. And so I just rely on the fact that God is not going to let anyone do anything harmful to me as long as... I continue to live my purpose, the one that he intended.
0: I love it. Great job. Thank you so much for being here. I love your message. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher said podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review. Won't you? The Lisa Fisher said podcast is produced by Clanton